Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. Rachel, what were you for Halloween this year? Did you dress up? Did you did you go out? Did you... T- let's hear all about your Halloween escapades. Okay, so they're kind of boring. <laughs> Let me just start off by that, saying that. <laughs> I did, however, so I went out um, just for like a little happy hour margarita. Um, and I did wear an orange shirt that I tend to wear every year, actually. <laughs> Your, the what? The orange shirt. Yes. I think I've seen it. Exactly. <laughs> um, yes. The one orange shirt, shirt that I own, I wore that. And on top of that, I got creative with my earrings. I have these earrings that are peacock feathers. So they're kind of like big and loud and like crazy. And so I did tell people that I was a peacock. <laughs> Although I'm not sure they believed me because it was just my earrings. But I did have something to say for myself, I feel like. <laughs> and did you like strut around like a peacock as you walked from... <laughs> You know, I didn't totally embody the peacock that I was. Um, (laughs) I'd say I was only like one quarter peacock for Halloween. Um, But it was a really fun. And um, in Los Angeles, at least, there's all these new kind of things to explore because a lot of the restaurants have now created these outdoor spaces um, because of, you know, COVID and uh, social distancing and all these things. Um, So anyway, it feels like I'm kind of exploring a new LA um, just because all of these places that I used to go have now kind of revamped. They have these outdoor patios and, you know, all these really cool things. So um, that was fun, kind of checking out the new the new scene. How about you? Cool. Well, this was the first year we did not go trick-or-treating with the kids or go around the neighborhood or whatever. We actually... Um, we are kind of known for dressing up and and doing Halloween up. I mean, it's kind of like one of our favorite holidays. And uh, you know, if you've any seen if you've ever seen any of my presentations, I'm always talking about you know dressing up as costumes for the kids and 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 making it fun. So we kind of spur of the moment, last minute. Um, my wife and the kids and I created sort of a halloween scene at our house the screen that you know is always behind me when we record I, we took that outside put a little step stool behind it i have a werewolf mask and melissa dressed up as a witch and we um made the scene where you kind of walk up our our driveway and you the witch would then shoot candy down a chute that uh, maggie and i made out of cardboard um and then i would pop up from behind we had a step stool so i was look looked like really tall and uh, we got some dollar strobe lights at the dollar store and uh, peppered like five of those around so it flashed this white light and um, you know it was pretty fun you know uh, Melissa was always nervous that the little the little little kids would be too scared but they always kind of looked at me like doggy doggy you know so uh, so it was a fun time you know and then the next day um I got up and I ran a 5K with you. We, d- we ran the, the Smiles for Speech 5K. And in fact, I didn't get it in time, Rachel, but I'm here to show you now. I have my Smiles for Speech water bottle and I got my my medal. You hear that medal? Cling. I'm going to put it around my neck for the rest of the... That's the medal of a champion. For the rest of the banter. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was pretty fun. Yeah, it was a really great, uh, it was a great race, Chris. Honestly, I'm surprised that I like 
was able to successfully complete it. It was it was really fun. I had pretty good weather. It was a little crisp air, which I like. Uh, we talked about. Um, we actually did a Facebook Live. So if you're not in our Facebook group, head on over there. You can check out uh, Chris and I. The before and then the after is always fun because um, I'm all like red and sweaty and <laughs> we talk about how it went. Uh, but Smiles for Speech is a really amazing organization that we're really proud to promote and support. They're doing really amazing work for underprivileged communities as far as speech therapy. Um, they do some work abroad, um, specifically in Ghana. And so um, Chris and I were really excited to, to create a t- Talking with Tech team for this race and um, to run it. Yeah, it was super fun. But now the fun is over, Rachel, because it's time to rage. It's time to be upset. Some, some things have been happening that um, have not been great. And so let's get it out together. Let's, we, we, you know, you're my person that I can talk to about these AAC frustrations, and I hopefully I'm yours, you know. So let's, uh, let's vent a little bit. What's going on in your neck of the woods? I'm ready to vent, Chris. Okay, so here's my story. I did an independent evaluation for AAC, which I oftentimes get contacted by families um, and lawyers um, who are looking for someone to do an IEE uh, for AAC. So I did this assessment back in February, right before like COVID hit. I did this assessment um, and you know, submitted everything and reached out and said, like, when are we scheduling this IEP? Long story short, never heard anything, you know, because everything after ever after March, I feel like everything kind of fell apart as far as IEPs and services and all these things. So anyway, I was contacted uh, by the actually special ed director of this school that this student attends. Long story short, they're like, oh, we just had an IEP meeting. And then we realized that like, like, did you ever do an assessment? I'm like, yes, I did an assessment, you know? And so anyway, we had an IEP meeting, um, an addendum just to like talk about the results of my assessment. Student was, you know, within a few hours of trialing a few different systems, eventually was able to use the device to ask for parts of her lunch and to see her family. I had pictures of her family on uh, my phone. And so I did this awesome assessment, if I do say so myself. I also took video her using the device. Of course, I got all the parent permissions for that. Um, So I showed the video at this meeting said like, look, she's doing great. Like watch her go. And everybody was like, yeah, this is great. But then the school district was basically like, okay, like we see your assessment. We saw the video of her really doing great, but we're going to give her a 90 day trial of a high tech device. Not a 91 day trial or an 89 day trial or any other number that has to do with any sort of science, just arbitrarily 90 days. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, And so, I mean, Chris, you know that I was really frustrated by this because I hopped on Marco Polo, which is what we use to communicate sometimes um, outside of the podcast. And I was so mad because one, it's like we already demonstrated like, and not not just like look at my report because anybody can write a report, right? But like, look, the proof is in the pudding. Like she was doing it. Like she was using the device and like I showed that to the team. And so it was just so frustrating that that's still not enough. Like showing the student be successful is not enough. And my fear, Chris, is that this student's team and parents will not receive the appropriate training. So we know that that's a huge indicator of success. If the family and the school team are adequately trained, 
then I feel good about it because I feel like she has the skills to demonstrate that she could use this successfully. But my fear is that she's not going to get that training. The other fear that I have is that they're going to use the device for academic tasks, which we've talked about on the podcast before, but especially with this student, like the only way that she would use that device during my assessment was with the most motivating things, which we know, especially with emergent communicators um, who have spent a long time using other ways to get, you know, what they need and what they want. We know that it has to be really motivating. Otherwise, it doesn't always work. And so those are my two fears. And I'm just so frustrated that why, why, why does she have to prove herself in 90 days to actually get the technology that I believe through my assessment demonstrated that she can use it? And more than a technology, but but someone teaching her how to use the technology. Because you could get her the stuff, and then, you, you know, even if they said, yeah, okay, great, the report shows that she needs it, but now we're not actually going to implement it because we don't really know how. Yeah, that's frustrating. It's really frustrating. It is, it's sort of imagine going to kindergarten, kids going to kindergarten and being like, only some kids who have demonstrated the ability that they would be good at good at reading we're going to do reading instruction with other kids sorry we just don't think you're going to ever learn to read and we're not going to spend any time or money or effort to teach you how to read and we're not going to educate ourselves on how to teach you how to read <laughs> exactly and I'm like well, what are we going to go back to pecs which didn't work like i and I had the PEX book. I used that during my assessment or tried to. I, I dusted it off and like put it in front of the student and was like, hey, like, what are you trying to tell me? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Even with motivating things, nothing. And I feel like, I don't know about you, Chris, but I sometimes feel like a PEX book for a child sometimes is like a trigger for trauma. It's like, no, no, that thing that like they put in my face and they were like, you know, hand over hand. And so it's like, I'm not surprised that when I put it in front of her, it was like, no, she actually pushed it away multiple times. Well, so uh, what you're saying there about a PEX book, I, I have seen that exact thing, but I've also seen that with other forms of AAC too, right? Where it's um, no matter what the thing is, if you use it for purposes that are causing students to do tasks that um, are not fun, not motivating, are forced. Let's say put it that way. They're forced tasks because you still live in this dynamic where I'm the teacher and I tell you what to do. In fact, let me, let me spin it positive for a second. Let me throw out a positive resource here for everyone. If you're not on TikTok, you've heard us goof around and talk about TikTok before. You know, I do my dance, right, Rachel? But there is a nice hashtag on TikTok that is teachers of TikTok. And there's a lot of teachers on there sharing quick tech tips, tech resources, strategies they use, websites they use. It's really useful stuff, right? It's not just about dancing, right? Um, not that dancing's bad either, but, you know, uh, where I'm going with this is that I was scrolling through this hashtag, watching some TikToks of teachers, and one was talking about this thing of like, I really hate distance learning because kids are not engaged and they're not in the room where I can force them to do what I want them to do. And those were her words, force them to do. And I was like, that's the mindset that we have to break. I don't know where it ever came from exactly, but school in so many people's minds is about... 
I'm the instructor. You do what I say, kid. You have no rights here. Uh, you have no agency here. And that's what I'm getting at with the heart of this this scenario that you're talking about is that a kid, no matter what the tool, if you've been forcing them to use it, it could be the best super fun toy in the world, you know, and if you're forcing a kid to do it, they will reject it and push it away because you're forcing it on them rather than, what's that phrase you always say? You know? Inspired don't require. You know, and that seems to be the, the big mindset shift that we have to work towards changing. So let me ask you with um, this scenario with this student, what are you going to do? I mean, how are you going to address it? Well, I'm, so this this specific case, um, there's a lawyer involved. So, of course, I reached out and was like, here's my problem with all these things. Um, you know, here's the things you need to watch out for. Are they giving adequate training? In, in the 90 days, that's the other problem. It's like things are so fouled up right now with like COVID-19 that like, what if they don't do all of the recommended hours of training prior to this 90 days being up? So that's my other fear is that like, well, what if they're like, yeah, we did three hours. Well, no, like you need to do all of the hours of training that was recommended. So that's the first thing. Um, that's the first thing that I want, I, I want. I did. The second thing is just making sure that at least the vocabulary that I had programmed gets into the hands of the AAC specialist who will actually set up the device for the student. Um, just because I, I can't tell you, Chris, how many times I've done one of these IEEs. And then for whatever reason, either the parents sometimes reach out to me privately or somehow like this, this student circles back around. And I'm like, what device is this? Like I did your assessment. I like very specifically put exactly what I'd like to see and what would be recommended as far as grid size and vocabulary and all these things. This is not what I recommended. This is some template that doesn't even match my recommendations. And so that's the other problem is like, she needs to get the right system. She's also a bilingual student. It needs to be in Spanish. Like there's so many layers to this, um, but it's really hard because I don't really have... I don't have a lot of, of power here. Um, you know, the district paid me to do an IEE and that's what I did. But it's just like so many times I do these things and I'm like, oh, but like, it's so hard for me to do the assessment and just walk away. You know, I'm like, but like, I need to make sure that like, at least we're like, you know, going in the right direction and you feel confident. And, but unfortunately, I'm just going to have to let it go, I guess, and do whatever is in my power. I don't know. Do you have any recommendations for anything else I can do? Well, I'm curious about, um, the response you got from the lawyer was the lawyer receptive, and is is it the lawyer for the for the you know that's an advocate for the student, or is that a lawyer that's for the school district? It's probably for the student, right? Yes, it's for the student. Um, and you know, she was just like, okay, like I'll keep a lookout for this. Um, you know, in an ideal situation, I would be the one doing the training, but it doesn't always work like that. <laughs> um, oftentimes, districts like they're like, no, we have an AC specialist; they're going to do the training. Um, but then it's like, what kind of training are they going to do? You know? <laughs> exactly. I would like to review that training to know that it's um, <laughs> appropriate um, and that it falls in line with con contemporary um, measures. I, I guess that, uh, a question that I have for you, too, would be one of the things we talk about in our coaching sessions. We've been doing some coaching, um, like this recent thing that we've been doing for Oregon People have hired us to come out and do trainings on coaching, right? And we have this nice, at least two-day, uh, I mean, it's not two full days, but what, how many hours is it, Rachel, I guess? It can be whatever it need, people need, need it to be. 
long story short, in that experience that you and I have designed together, one of the things we talk about is that training alone is rarely effective. You need coaching along with that. So what are the what what is the the team that is implementing the thing for these 90 days who is giving them feedback who's observing are they taking videos are they sending that to somebody are they setting a set aside time to reflect on what they've been doing with that with that system and that would be the the, the i think the the evolution of the recommendations that i would hope all speech therapists start making all educators start making is in order to implement a device well, the people in the who are the communication partners don't just need training. They need coaching and training, you know, and I feel like that's the next step. We've got to start putting that either in IEPs or at, at least in the evaluations. Um, and maybe this lawyer can cite some of the research that we cite in those coaching um, uh, modules that we put together about how coaching is more effective. And then maybe they'll hire you to do it because you would be effective. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. I actually started putting coaching in my recommendations for that exact reason is that it's like we can teach people all day long the basics of core words and aided language input and all the things. Um, and honestly, we could probably send them some type of like recorded webinar on something like that, you know, but what's really important is that coaching piece, like me seeing what you're doing and how you're doing it and helping you to figure out how you could do it better. You know, that's where like helping you figure out how do you do it better. That is exactly the words, man. That is totally it, right? You would ask them the questions to help them actually learn the skills, you know? I know. I actually love that course of ours, Chris. Like I like felt so good. We just finished um, the second part of that course up last week. And man, I just like loved, I just loved it. I'm like, I felt like we were doing like a really great thing for everyone. Everyone was super responsive. And um, I just love how it kind of has all come together with both of our unique perspectives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you work much more closely with families. I mean, I talk to families, but I think predominantly you work with families and you work a little bit with schools. And I primarily work with the educators in schools and a little bit with families. And so you're talking about coaching parents and I'm often talking about coaching educational professionals. And it's just a kind of a perfect match, you know. Totally. Kind of a unique thing that I don't think a lot of people are doing because, you know, we have this kind of unique relationship. No, absolutely. I, I feel like, Chris, I took up all the time to vent. I feel like you were going to vent about something too. So maybe we have to like push that off to the next episode yeah let's tease that for next time where i'm gonna i'm gonna vent as well because there yeah there's stuff going on um i one a very specific case that is kind of close to my heart you know you spend a lot of time with you know um that i want to talk about so so yes come come back next time and you'll hear about what's what's (laughs) what's got me angsty so this this is the part two of our talking with tech live that we did in new jersey chris is there going to be there's going to be a part three right i believe there is yeah um this was a the talking with tech live was at least an hour and a half long session that we did i think we even stuck around a little bit you know over time because we were having so much fun with it um, and so we've been dividing it up into digestible chunks here uh, for the podcast. Uh, and uh, um, so, yeah, I think part three is coming up next week. Yeah. And what's really exciting, Chris, is, you know, our listeners are going to be listening to the second part of the Talking With Tech Live. We are having our 
own Talking with Tech Live on December 9th for our Patreon. So if you haven't joined our Patreon, now is the perfect time to do it because we're going to be doing this exact same course or you know event. I can't even call it a course because it's definitely not a traditional type of CEU, but we're going to be doing a Talking with Tech Live for our Patreon. So patreon.com backslash talking with tech is how you join chris i just saw today we got a few more patreon members which i'm really excited about people are starting to get the buzz about our talking with tech live yeah i can't wait and it's 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 been fun every time we've done it and i'm so looking forward to uh hanging out with the patreon members and the ask answering their questions and the best part about this is not just you and i answering questions people could send us questions ahead of time and we could answer them on the podcast it is um and we've done that in the past uh it is meant to be a really crowdsourced experience with you and i facilitating the conversation not being the the, the two people that just answer the, of course we're going to give our input as well you know we can't help it but uh but it's really about everyone in the room working together to solve each other's problems which i think i'm again super excited about join our patreon patreon.com backslash talking with tech without further ado let's head into part two of our talking with tech live that we did in new jersey Do you feel stuck with a challenging case or a burning AAC question that you just can't seem to figure out on your own? We're excited to announce Talking With Tech Live, a virtual event that will help crowdsource solutions, strategies, and tools you can use with your AAC clients. This isn't your traditional professional development course where you sit and listen to presenters talk. Of course, Rachel and I will be there to answer questions, but our primary role is to act as guides. The real magic of this event is that you you, the people participating, share your ideas with fellow attendees so that we can all benefit from our collective experiences. What's even better is that we're offering this event for free to our Patreon members. The next event is on December 9th at 7.30 Eastern Standard, 4.30 Pacific. To join us for Talking With Tech Live, you can sign up to be a Patreon member at patreon.com backslash talkingwithtech. Once you're a Patreon member, you'll also have access to behind-the-scenes content, bonus interviews, and lots of other free resources and ideas for your therapy. I always remind people, like, I'm only here for a half an hour a week, and you're here all the time, or I'm working with you for a year or two, but, like, this is your child, you know, or this is your brother or sister, and they're going to be your brother or sister forever. Like, I want to teach you how to do it. So this therapy is for you, too. Um, and I use a lot of um, video modeling, and I, in, in early intervention, I actually would take um, video models of the parent, like, on their phone. I'd say, like, hey, let me have your phone, and I'll, like, record me, you know, you doing this with the with your kids, so then you can go back and watch it. Um, so I think that's really po powerful too. Um, another strategy to sort of help it stick and, and right, you look at that video and you're like, oh, there's me doing what Chris or Rachel or Lauren did with, you know, with them, but here's me doing it and this is what it should look like. Or, you know, if it is something concrete that you can have, that's a reminder to them. So don't forget about that. And Lauren, and, that the original videos and then the follow-up videos, I, uh, six months later, remember that this, this is a, a continuum. So you can go, but hey, let's watch these videos from, you know, that we started this. And the parents will be like, oh my gosh, I used to do that. <laughs> you know, they'll see the growth compared to where, from where they are, uh, from where they were. 
Uh, the, the second thing I wanted to bring out, Darla, can you come on? Do you, do you have your, your um, let's talk about, because we're using this word coaching, and I wonder if how many people in, in the room or just listening in the podcast don't know the difference between coaching and consulting. And so, Darla, I, I'm holding up my cognitive coaching. It's just one. There, uh, we don't get paid by the cognitive coaching people to be, you know, uh, hawking their wares. But it's a course that I went through as well. Happened to have the book right here on my desk um, or under my desk. Um, so can you tell us a little bit of the difference between what's coaching and what's consulting? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm here. breaking up a little bit. So you might have to repeat. All right. Well, Darla, you know what? We won't <laughs> wrestle with it. We appreciate you trying. Uh, Rachel, do you want to talk about the difference between consulting and coaching? Um, sure. So consulting is what I think we're all pretty good at, right? It's telling people what to do. It's telling people all the things that they should do to make things I know better I'm for the child. <laughs> I'm so good at consulting. I just love telling people exactly what they should do. And I have to say that like, it's, it's really eye-opening to start recording your sessions, um, watching them back. And, and once you start recognizing the difference between consulting and coaching, you're like, ah, oh, I jumped in. I consulted there. Coaching is like Lauren said, holding up a mirror, asking reflective questions, leading people to their own answers instead of telling them the answer. Um, and I have to say that one of the best ways to improve yourself as a clinician is to watch back your own sessions and be like, ah, right there. I totally could have asked a question, but instead I jumped in and said, oh, you waited, you, you, you didn't wait long enough there. You could have paused. Um, so the difference between coaching and consulting is consulting, I'm kind of telling you the answer, telling you what to do, giving you my knowledge. Coaching is, you know, exactly what you would think of when you think of any type of coach. Um, they're helping guide you to your own answers. Um, and they're, they're really making you think about your own practice. And um, there's a huge difference. Um, and so I really encourage everyone who's listening to start thinking about like all the times where we jump in when we could be asking questions and helping um, hold that mirror up. Um, I, I've been doing a lot of recording in my sessions because I'm doing a lot of presenting and I'm like, oh, like it'll be really great to show coaching. And like I watch my coaching sessions back and I'm like, <gasps> Oh my God, I should have been coaching. I was consulting there. Like it's so it, it happens to the best of us, but it's like looking back and reflecting on our own, you know, skills as clinicians is really important. And the best way I found to do that is through watching your videos back. So it says Darla wrote, she said, um, my biggest takeaway is that I didn't have to have all the answers. I don't have to be the expert. I have to help people solve their own problems. And I can do that by giving resources, giving research, posing these questions and empowering them to do it by themselves. And Mark writes, yes, Jim Knight is like the, 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 the king of, of coaching um, from the University of Kansas. And like you said, he does stuff uh, with teachers, but really it works for all aspects of life, including speech therapy, including, you know, working with my, my own kids, like my own being a dad, you know, so. I think the difference too between um, coaching and consulting is the buy-in, right? When you're coming up with the, you're doing a self-directed um, practice and you're coming up with your own answers, they're going to stick rather than like somebody else telling you, right? They're like, oh, you know, you should work out seven days a week and go running for an hour. You're like, oh yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then if somebody <laughs> else tells you that, you don't do it. But if you come to that conclusion on your own, you're more likely to stick with the strategies or um, stick with what you thought. And you're going to come up with what makes sense for you and your life. So it's more tailored to you 
your own answers are going to work for you. So, um, so that, cause right. We can consult until we're blue in the face and we're like, really should be like modeling on this AAC device guys. I gave this to you two years ago and it's just collecting dust on the shelf. But until they get to that moment and they take it, you're like, well, what might you do differently? You're like, Hmm, maybe I should take it. Maybe I should use that device that you gave me. Right. It doesn't stick until they come up with it themselves. So I think that's also like the difference is like that buy-in and that commitment to doing it. When you're consulting, you're just kind of telling somebody and like for 80% of the people who are good followers and good students and yeah, it might work, but then they don't build capacity to make their own decisions or move their own thinking forward. So to me, that was really powerful because you're giving them the gift to be able to solve their own problem and think through this and sort of move to the next cognitive level. Awesome. Awesome. This was such an awesome discussion. All right. Now I'm ready, Rachel. To move on to the next. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. It is. This is why we're doing this. Um, yes. Should, should we start with some of the questions that don't have answers yet? So that we can, maybe these are the tough ones. Yeah, that... I, actually, I was just going to keep going down from top okay. to bottom in the order they came, if, that's, if that works yeah, for that's you. Yeah, that's totally fine. So Annie writes, what would your top tips be for someone who is pursuing a position as an AAC facilitator slash consultant in a school district? What should I be doing now to help me get and succeed in that position? And that's interesting because I feel like most school districts do not have a dedicated person to being the AAC facilitator or consultant. Um, I do love the term facilitator as opposed to AAC expert or something like that. Um, but yeah, so uh, one, call out the need. Uh, I would look at your research and data of the number of students or people that have had AAC and how that has grown over the, the years um, to call out the need that we need something like this to get ahead of it. Oh, Annie, that was my question. My district has AAC and AT facilitators. Great. Oh, so you already have the position. You don't have to create that position because that's a whole totally different question is how do you convince uh, administrators to create a position for you? Uh, but how to get it, I would be totally focusing on the last half an hour of our conversation about coaching rather than direct instruction, right? And that's what I would be talking uh, to people about. I'm going to jump in here. I think that oftentimes we have imposter syndrome. So whenever we're like, oh, like an AAC specialist or, and I think it's partially the language that we use, right? These positions, the names of these positions sound like, well, I can't possibly be an AAC specialist. Like, I don't know enough about AAC. So I think, and I'm not sure, Annie, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think there's oftentimes this fear that we don't know enough to have a position like that, that we can't possibly know. We don't know every system. We don't know all the research. And the reality is that like none of us know every single detail about every system and every single piece of research. Um, you know, you have to be actively learning and actively trying to broaden your knowledge about AAC. Um, start integrating AAC into your practice because are you, are you an SLP, Annie? Let me know if you're an SLP because I think there's this misconception that you have to be an AAC specialist to do AAC. And if you listen to our podcast, you know that we don't feel that way at all. In fact, it's the opposite. We all do AAC. Teachers, parents, OTPT, ABA, everybody should be doing AAC. And um, if you are already seeing students who use AAC, you're learning AAC 
you know, the clinical side of AAC and what's working. Obviously, you can do things like listen to this podcast. There's tons of free conferences, AAC in the cloud, AAC after work is happening next week. Um, there's tons of learning opportunities. Um, but I think the first step is just like believing that you can do it um, and that there's not this like, well, when I get to this point, then I'll be ready to be an AAC specialist. Because um, I think if we, we waited till we felt like we were ready, oftentimes we would never feel ready and we would never take that next step. To your point, uh, many of these re tools we're putting in place is to be able to facilitate the cognition development so as to attain that level. So we need to get there. That's why we're here. Yeah, anyone else have any like insight into Annie's quest for AT and AAC specialist journey? Hey, this is Lauren again. I just wanted to say that um, leadership is all over, right? Um, that the, the title doesn't necessarily have to dictate like what, what you do or what your role is because you can still be doing all these coaching strategies um, in any position, whether you're um, a paraprofessional, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're an SLP, whether you're working at the central office or the superintendent. So just remember that... Um, you know, it doesn't have to be, um, you don't have to be in that position necessarily to make change. And actually making change when you're working directly with the student and modeling that is probably, um, you probably have more leverage than somebody who is like coming, coming from the central office or doesn't know the student as well. Um, so recognize your own power and your own leadership um, in that, in the position that you're in. Love it. Darla wrote, my experience with sitting in on interviews with district positions similar to this is admin are looking for someone who understands the systems in place already and someone who is flexible with the role. Also spotlighting your coaching skills is key. A boss once told me they could tell I didn't know it all, but they could tell I would work hard to figure it out. They laugh out loud. Yes, exactly. I was actually going to say that. I think that anytime we're doing anything, the most important skill, both within ourselves and what we teach our students, is that we might not have all the answers, but we know how to get the answers. So rest in, you know, knowing that there's definitely going to be things that come up that you're like, oh, I don't really know. But you know how to find the answer. And that comes up all the time. I mean, I'm always texting Chris like, hey, Chris, like, do you know about this? Um, you know, and so having a support network of people who you can reach out to, and that's what is so nice about online, um, these social networks that we have, is that we're able to ask questions and collaborate with, you know, talks like this especially. Um, so just know that you can find the answers that you need. I think that's exactly right. Was it Darla that responded? Yes, Darla. That was really a great point. All right, Annie. So a year from now, you email us and you let us know how that new position is going for you. You want to know. <laughs> Thank you. I will. That was a really good confidence boost. So I appreciate it. Good. Uh, just the fact that you're here means you deserve the job. It's uh, true. Okay. We'll write you a letter of rec. <laughs> the next one is from Anonymous. They didn't put their name. Many classrooms in my service area utilize an ABA approach and there is limited support or buy-in for the, for the utilization of speech generating devices. There is some support for PECs or picture exchange, but how can I get people to realize that speech generating devices or other AAC options will be beneficial? Rachel? 
Oh, I experienced this a lot. You guys, I just had a student who has been using a high tech device and ABA is trying to go back to PECS. And I'm like, what? <laughs> in what world are we living in where we think we could go back? <laughs> um, so I feel like this is, this is something that I do a lot. I do a lot of work with ABA and I have to say that like sometimes it means that I have to do a lot of compromising. Um, so for some students I've, who have, you know, been using high tech devices, um, we'll do a little bit of a hybrid. So I'll have like, you know, a communication board or a low tech option or um, for some things like the PEX is being used for snack, for example. Um, and I'm like, okay, let's, you can do the, maybe do the PEX during snack and then you know, model what he said on the device. Um, it sounds like you're having a hard time just getting the buy-in in general for speech generating devices. And so I'd say, you know, really trying to talk with the team about why, because oftentimes they have, you know, these ideas and maybe it's like, well, you know, we need to get to a certain level of pecs before we would do a speech generating device or, you know, they have these preconceived notions. So if you get to the bottom of actually like what the pushback is, the why behind the decision to not be open to high tech, um, I think that can be really helpful. Um, I also find that a lot of my students do really well with the auditory output of a high tech device. Um, and so I often talk about that, you know, a lot of kids really benefit from hitting a button and hearing that word back. Um, and that can really move the needle for communication. So sometimes that helps me get the buy-in. Um, but this is, this is definitely a challenging one, um, making sure that people know the myths I actually have a video on my YouTube channel and it cites the research because I had so many people telling me like, well, you know, AAC is going to prevent them from talking or, you know, all the myths that we kind of, you know, know are out there. Um, so my suggestion would be just trying to get to the bottom of what the pushback actually is so that you can figure out like how to start providing information to the team um, in a strategic way that really addresses their biggest concerns. All right, I'm going to pause it right there. I have some comments too, Rachel, but it is a little after 11. I, thank you, Sarah Gregory. I saw you pop in. I'm like, oh, Sarah's, oh, wait, because the next session, she, she was in the previous session. So there are a bunch of people that might be popping into this session right now and have, oh my gosh, did I miss it? No, you didn't miss it. We, um, this is a two-part session. So uh, I'm going to quickly, just quickly show you that I just put in the chat that this is the link to the slide deck. And in the slide deck, there is a link to a um, Google form where you can leave a question. So that is this right here. Come on. And what we can do, Chris, I mean, um, hopefully you're okay with this, but I feel like we can keep looking to these questions and we can answer them on the podcast. So we've been doing a lot of Q and A, um, like a lot of, we've get a lot of questions. So being able to answer them now, it's not as beneficial as this collaborative experience um, because obviously Chris and I don't know all the answers, but um, we can hopefully address some of these questions that we weren't able to get to um, on the podcast. So Lola, if you'll put your question here on this, uh, in this link, and this is where you can see the responses. But those of you that are new know that actually you have editing rights. So you can, uh, anything from column D over, you should be able to edit. So if you want to contribute and add your own strategies, for instance, um, like this, someone was just now, as Rachel was talking, was putting in this, these thoughts about using an AAC happy hour. So you can scroll to the right and you can add in even more comments so that we can make this a nice collaborative thing. Of course, feel free to put them in the, um, uh, in the chat as well. But this just, just so 
Any questions for the newbies that just showed up here at a, at eleven oh five or so? Are we Chris, good? Chris, how long are we going? What time do we end officially? This ends at seven forty five tonight, Rachel. If you can believe it. Oh yeah. no! Yeah. I'm gonna change my schedule. <laughs> no, eleven eleven forty five Eastern. So we've got another forty five oh. minutes, forty minutes or so yes. of, of answering questions. Yeah. Great. Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm loving this. Is everybody loving this? Because I really am. Okay, so um, here's my thoughts about this. If you were to ask a, a Chris Bouguet about 10 years ago how to handle this question, or maybe even five years ago, I would have been like, well, argue with them, convince them, show them the research, you know, they're research people. And so prove them, prove to them. And I, and, and I, I really do like the strategy of looking at that evidence-based practice and just saying, show me somebody. Show me somebody that it has worked for. Have them come tell me how great it was for them to use this strategy because I cannot, I've, I've been asking, I ask in big forums like this, show me one person that comes back and says, thank you so much for doing pecs with me. If you, if you can show me that person and they can come tell me that themselves, then I will change my mind. But right now, I, I have never been able to find someone that it's worked for. So um, then the end result, but I can see all these other AAC users like the people that have come on their podcast that have said, thank you for modeling. Thank you for teaching core vocabulary. Th these strategies worked for me. And so I put my time in those strategies, right? Um, I, I would argue maybe some resources might help and a constant, um, I really like the, uh, the Shawshank approach. Do you know what I mean by the Shawshank approach? So how did they get the library? How did Tim Robbins get the library in Shawshank? Does anyone know? Remember that movie? Sarah's smiling. She knows. writes to the, um, the state. Exactly. He just keeps writing, keeps writing. And so I am a big fan of one giant meteor is not going to change the, 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 someone's mind. I come in with a whole bucket of research and I tell them, but if I just every once in a while, hey, here's this latest podcast I listen to. Here's this research article I, I, I heard about. Hey, here's a, someone who who uses AAC that's very similar, like he, he or she has autism and, and they're using this strategy and you keep peppering them, the needle can move in that direction. Uh, that has, has worked uh, for me with the relationships that I've made. And of course, it is all about relationships. It's learning that for them to trust you, that you're not trying to, to, to move their cheese. You know what I mean? That, um, that, that, that upsets everybody and it immediately causes cognitive dissonance, which is why the Chris today would tell you to have a more gentle hand about it and you make a slow uh, coaching sort of um, approach where you're asking these reflective questions. Well, how is that working for you? Is it changing their mindset? Is it working? Um, yes, you're seeing some progress, but is that leading to this end goal? How, do, you, do you see a roadmap for where you are right now? So on the last day, they get to snug. Uh, I feel like those are the sorts of questions we would ask. But now let's open it up to other people. Who wants to, to comment on this? Because like you said this could be an entire thing. <laughs> I also, oh, go ahead. Lauren? Go ahead, Lauren. <laughs> the guys are asking all these questions that I'm just like dying to share about. So, <laughs> well, I think that when you, when you look at PEX, it's like a nice, neat little protocol and everybody knows what to do and you can follow and it's a little bit easier. So I like what Rachel was saying about like thinking about maybe why, um, they're following the strategy or like why they're drawn to this because people like to you know 
follow something and know what to do. But yet eliciting language strategies are like a little messier, right? Because not everybody is a speech and language pathologist and got a master's degree and learned how to do this. And um, so I think that if you look at this and say, oh, well, that's a little bit messy and maybe that's why it's like not easy to take data on or whatever. So asking that question, like um, that reflective question, like how might you know that you've reached your goal in communication? Because the goal, they might say the goal is snug, right? Like that might be what they describe, but then yet they're choosing a strategy that doesn't fit with snug. So then they can reflect on that. So then using the coaching model to sort of like work through that, I think is um, great to sort of have a more open mindset about that and not like try to like pack everything in that little box and say like, oh, I checked it off. And cause I had, I had a particular situation and it was like, they were so good at therapizing and like getting the student to check off like oh he learned like 50 nouns about his work jobs and this and that and I said but what can he say about it and I said well what were you hoping that he might say about it and they were like oh he can't really say anything but he can label all the things that he might need and like list all the the tools that he might do you know to to do his job and these cleaning supplies and the cart and he can get things and request things but he just couldn't do the next, like it was just a smaller repertoire. So I think asking that question and, and kind of recognizing that like eliciting language strategies are messy and thinking about like, instead of data, just like check a box, it's like evidence to support that we know that the student is making progress or moving forward. It's just a more broad thinking, but it's a little bit uncomfortable. And so you have to earn that trust, I think, to maybe work together as a team like we don't know what's going to happen but let's we're in it together darla mentioned um it's worth noting when taking my courses to become a bcba pex was the only aac mentioned in my classes maybe taking a look at universities and how they're collaborating with the slp department for curriculum and research could be key this is a very overlapping practice between bcba and slps what are we teaching at the college level to both groups completely agree. A lot of the BCBAs that I've worked with like have feel daunted by technology. And so of course, like we stick with what we know. And like you said, Lauren, it's like people don't want messy. They want like step-by-step -step guide, which I think is something that PEX obviously has. Um, they feel safe in that like, well, then I do this. And then when he gets to this level of proficiency, I do this. Um, you know, language is messy. AAC is like not like straightforward. Can you actually stop sharing? I want to share a visual with everybody that I share during some of my presentations that I think this is really powerful. Should I, maybe I should turn my video off because clearly my internet is not happy right now. Okay, um, let's see here. So I love this because this shows the power of robust language, right? Um, and, and, you know, when you talk to PEX advocates, they're like, but you can use lots of different functions of language. And, you know, it's always like, I always hear the same thing. There's the sentence strip, there's all these things. But we know that, you know, first of all, text typically just works on requesting. So there's not a lot of room outside of that. So I think showing the different functions of communication is really valuable to BCBAs. Like, look, here are all the different ways that we can communicate. Um, how are we supposed to do that with a textbook? 
Um, and I just love this visual because I feel like it's, it's the perfect example of how we need a robust language system to truly communicate exactly what we want to say. Um, so just and sharing this. Rachel, I'm just going to say, so the visual says transitioning from pecs, and it says this, uh, I want apple. And then at the bottom, it says to a full communication system. And it says, can we make applesauce? Can we make applesauce? Sorry, I had to do that for the podcast listeners that aren't here live. <laughs> Chris always has to do this because I'm just like, you know, everybody can see me. Everybody can see what I'm sharing. And Chris is like, this is a podcast, Rachel. It's, audito it's auditory only. <laughs> I also All get right. the kickback of working towards signing only because it fits in the ABA toolbox. So anyone else want to say anything about ABA and transitioning uh, or PECs or other frustrations or strategies you, you found that uh, work that have worked for you? All right, I think we can go on to the next question. 